Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach and consultant, Michael Raub. He is the managing partner and founder of Inflection 360. He has more than two decades of experience in business as a strategic advisor, consultant, corporate executive, and investment banker. Now, prior to starting Inflection 360, Michael had senior business development roles at Western Dental Services and U.S. HealthWorks. Now, Michael began his career as an investment banker with Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genret, where he advised clients on a wide range of capital raising, mergers and acquisitions, and restructuring efforts. And Michael has extensive experience with corporate development, mergers, acquisitions, and capital raising. And one of the things I mentioned this, Michael, as you're coming on, I love the fact that you're able to specify and dial in on an industry. Take all of that and instead of kind of giving the generic advice that a lot of people are faced with, being able to apply that specifically to their world. And I'm, I'm excited to jump into that, particularly within the healthcare industry. But before we get there, I'd love you just unpack this story for us a little bit. There's so much in there. Uh, how did that ultimately lead you to make the leap and, and become a consultant? Well, first of all, Scott, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak to you and your guests. Um, yeah, it's it sounds like a winding road. Uh, how I got to where I am today, because it, it actually was. It was never my intention to be in healthcare, but twenty plus years later, here I am. So, uh, I backing up started my career as investment banker, as you mentioned. Uh, was always on that CFO, the stay in investment banking or move to a CFO track uh, in a corporation. Uh, <clears throat> I did make that jump. I was part of the actually the dot com bubble burst, uh, which was my first jump outside of investment banking. And, uh, you know, so good company, bad timing. And next thing I knew I was, um, after a year of that experience, uh, was trying to figure out what my next endeavor was. Like I go back to investment banking and I want to stay in the corporate world. Um, and an opportunity presented itself in healthcare, which I was not interested in being in the space at all. And, uh, but it was with a company, it was a surgery center group that had two locations that were young and looking to expand. Um, and so I came on board and helped run a center and then ultimately build out two additional sites and then was part of the team that ultimately sold it out to a public corporation. So six years later, I was an operations expert in healthcare, uh, taking my finance background. Now I had, you know, now I had these two sets of I had healthcare experience, I had operations experience and my finance background. Um, and that led me to us HealthWorks, where I, that's where they, all the pieces first made sense together. And I was heading up really business development M&A at a, at a healthcare company. Wow. Um, 
so that that's how I got to it this the start then um but then I did that for a while that I jumped out of the the corporate world I was like uh felt a little bit more uh like I wanted to be a little more free flowing and I started working with a variety of just different businesses on some more strategic projects uh but then got lured back into corporate world again with Western Dental uh same role different company same CEO actually as I had at US Healthworks and that was the connection and I did that for a year um only then to realize that what I was really enjoying about before that time in between the two companies was working with a variety of businesses on different strategic issues and challenges, some of them being uh, more tied to my mergers and acquisition experience, others really that strategy. So I, I kind of realized I had a tool, a set of tools that gave me some unique perspective yeah. on really helping businesses out in the healthcare services sector, as opposed to as much as I want to be help everybody, I sort of like play to your strengths and play to your areas of expertise and sort of dialed in on that space for the last several years. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So if we then fast forward to to now, uh, what would you say is the most important work you're doing for your clients? I, I think, you know, I, I think that I, I've gotten to work with a lot of um, clients of all shapes and sizes. Um, and and I, I think that what I see, see consistently is really smart people doing what they know how to do um, well, whether that's, you know, some are stronger on the operations side, some really get the uh, the people side of their business, but they don't have all the pieces. And, and, and they often don't know what they don't know. Uh, I find that finance piece is commonly, uh, that that true finance muscle is, is most often lacking. Um, so I uh, like to fill that void at times. But the way I've kind of walked into each opportunity is let me really understand the business and how do I almost become a fractional part of the C-suite? That's really how I've sort of, so in one company, I would say in the last couple of years, I've been a, a CFO, others I've been a chief strategy officer, others have been a chief development officer, uh, it really, and others, another chief operating officer. I literally sort of worn a different hat, but it's understanding what their strengths are and where there's a gap. And, and trying to work with their team to sort of eventually close those gaps, whether it's bringing in people or, or raising their game. Yeah. Or so, but I'm definitely in it for the long haul with my clients. They're never really, I'm, I'm never like that three months in and out. It's more like that. I'm hoping I, I'm expecting to be here in two years, kind of working, working with you in some way or another. Yeah. And what's the value of that? Because there are some folks who they come in, they do their work and there is this kind of transformational piece that's helpful, but then yeah. there's, there's another kind of relationship where it's like, yes, we're getting into this. What is the value in that uh, for your clients in particular? Yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's right. My, I'm bringing my experience and it comes from a wealth of channels, um, you know, and my own, you know, my own direct operational experience. And then all the other clients I've worked with, it's really trying to, you know, help them go to the next level. So I, I, it's a trust factor. I mean, I think as much as anything else, I, I because I become a trusted part of that, um, you know, almost like a chief of staff sometimes in other companies where that CEO and I have to have a really dynamic relationship and building out with that team. Uh, so I get to really make some tweaks and changes once I'm really embedded in the business that can have some pretty dramatic impact at least that's my goal always, uh, we usually get there. Um, and it, but I think without that trust, if it feels just more transactional, uh, if I'm not really building that deeper relationship, 
it's harder to get by and I can give them my insight, but then how do I make it actionable? So I actually not only get to help give input and help, help make it actionable. And yeah. so that's been sort of the, that's been the part that's been fun for me. It's unique challenges, but also driving it to the, helping drive to the end goal. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Now, uh, there's you mentioned this bit on true finance. I don't, I'm actually going to come back to that here in a moment, but there's kind of this fundamental thing I want to address with you. And I think you're going to be able to do it um, well. And and that is that, you know, we, we often don't call doctors or dentists business owners, right? You know, they, they don't run businesses, they run practices. And, and there's a lot of language uh, around staying away from the language around business. But when I was reviewing your website, I saw you said business all over the place and business owner. And so why is it that, uh, you know, it's not all the healthcare industry, but a lot of the healthcare industry kind of leans away from this language of business and is it helping or hurting? Well, I think that if you look across specialties, I think that the vast majority are almost all doctors walk into their field with an, an interest in truly providing care. I, you know, I'm, I have a passion for medical medicine, it might be dental, but are actually providing care to patients. So I, I think they start with that backbone and uh, the industries have certainly changed a lot in my 20 years. But if I go dating myself, but I go back in time, I do think it was much more streamlined that like, I'm a very busy doctor with a very busy practice and I make money from it. Uh, but that sort of happens just because of what I'm doing. Um, there has been a big shift I think the massive influx of private equity money into a, va- a huge number of different, almost any imaginable medical sector, um, healthcare services, they, they've kind of emerged. So you've got the minds now going with, are we, what are we building? How are we profitable? They'll talk to me about EBITDA. I'm not sure that they always necessarily really understand it, but we're, we're, we then work into what that really means. Um, so they're hearing all these uh, some business down the street got acquired. So it's just changed practice. And now people start thinking about, can I expand my locations? Can I be multi-site? Can I add other subspecialties? It, they're seeing this business-minded mindset, which is emerging over the last decade in particular. Um, and so there's an awareness now that I don't really think did exist historically, Yeah, but it doesn't mean they necessarily have all the tools to think in the, you know, in the, the best business way. Some of them do. I mean, there's some doctors that have just absolutely blown me away what they just innately know. They they just get it. Um, they'd, be, they'd be successful no matter what business they had chosen to go into. And others that really need that additional, you know, experience or muscle to help them kind of further their goals. And it's one industry that I've seen a lot more M&A activity and roll-up activity happening uh, than than in others. And so is there a threat of being left behind? Uh, is it okay to still be the doctor who lo- who's very busy and has a very busy practice and happens to make money? Um, there is that fear of missing out. Uh, I see it in the dental industry. Um, particularly, I spent a lot of energy there. Uh, that being said, there's a still... Uh, that number, I think it's like 15% is the get current guesstimate of, of doc dentists that practice under a bigger a group, a, a group DSO or dental service organization environment. Um, so as much as you see all this massive consolidation, still 80% of the field or 80 plus percent of the field is still independent. Right. But there is that changing dynamic of, you know, if I'm working chair side for years, I can have a nice business, but could I be part of something bigger? And I, but, uh, my own dentist that I go to is he's an independent independent doctor and wants to stay that way. And we've had we have talks while I'm sitting there getting my dental work done. I uh, are getting a teeth cleaning, and 
you know, it's, I like what I do. I'm, I'm successful at it. I maybe would add another location, but I don't know if I want to. So I still think those people, if they have a successful practice, they, but I think they have options. They have that chance. In other specialties, I do think, you know, it, I think it's blowing people's minds that, you know, I'm a, just a, I'm a psychologist and now all of a sudden I'm a hot target for behavioral health roll up. Like this, these things were never, why they never would have envisioned this. So I do think there's like an education process of should I, or should not, should I care? And ultimately it comes out to what's your exit strategy. And I think that's the biggest piece that doctors historically never had a good solution for other than I'm going to have somebody buy my practice and take out my patients. And there really wasn't a huge upside to that because they were the, the sole asset versus buying and selling into a bigger group. There is a, there's a clear path to exit and you know, a much bigger financial reward. Like that's been the big shift in the industry, starting to get familiar with that and understanding what that can mean for them. I'm glad you brought that up because it was actually my next question here. And that is, what is the key to a successful exit now? There's kind of new rules to the game here. So healthcare industry in particular, your sweet spot, what's the key to a successful exit in your opinion? Um, not picking up the phone and saying, I'd like to sell my business tomorrow. I'm ready to retire. That's like the disaster, right? That, that is that historical situation of what I used to be. And well, my lease is up in eight months. I would like to sell my practice. Um, now it's that whether it's, I'd say start thinking five years ahead, but you know, anything, three years, two years, whatever, giving yourself some runway because if you're going to get acquired by a bigger group, they want to know that they're the asset they're really acquiring, in that case, the doctor is going to be part of that for at least a period of time, a committed right. period of time. So somebody who's thinking, I want to retire in five years, now might be the exact right time to sell a majority of their business or minority with an option up just so that they've now, they've got their succession plan. They've given the committed time frame. They can actually create, like I said, continue to create income. And then it's easy to ride off into the sunset in five years because right. it was baked into their deal. And I think that with the way the with the way the world has shifted um, from the role of standpoint, exactly as you mentioned, that's how they have to start thinking about it. So those that are thinking, I mean, I've had doctors come in like, I don't want to do anything for 10 years. I'm like, okay, great. This is a fun conversation. I don't know much work we're going to do together now. Well, let's talk about it because I do think it's great when they're putting that into their mind and, and actually starting to think about what their paths forward are and, and, yeah. and giving time to get their house in order from a financial standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause even that, then they're, you know, I mean, virtually any businesses, but definitely a medical practice is usually woefully unprepared for what that really means in terms of a deal. Um, and to, yeah, you can get a deal done with, I used to buy practice all the time. That's really how I ended up on this side of it was, recognize how much money was being left on the table by sellers right. because they, did, they didn't know how to tell their story and present their financials in a way that would command the most value. Um, so helping them get that path figured out uh, and get the benefits so when it's time to sell, they're really actually already ramped up and going to get the max value too. Is, uh, that's a big part of what I sort of zeroed in on when I went out on my own. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned ahead uh, uh, in the conversation this idea of a you know, true finance function uh, and most people uh, missing that. How do you define that? Well, I think practices you know, in the healthcare field, they're used to getting maybe a lease on some equipment. Um, they will have, they'll send their, their bank statements uh, and what came out of their, their record, uh, their electronic health record system, 
to their accountant who just does a quick tally like a bookkeeper and says, here's your books for the, your financials for the month. It's just sort of a, a rinse and repeat, no real thought process to it. I have cash, I pay my bills, what's left I take. Um, and I'm going to deduct as much as I can personally to get my tax benefit. I mean, then that's sort of like the extent of their thought process largely. And I've seen that go on with companies that have grown into like way beyond the size and scope of that's as simple as they should be thinking. Right. It's just another appreciation of what, you know, a little tweak here and there from a thinking about the numbers a little bit more, how it can actually help you derive some, make some decisions, whether you know, they think they don't, you know, if they're not looking at my supply costs are wildly out of whack on margin compared to other competitors. Like they don't, they just buy what they buy, use what they use. Can I renegotiate? I've had plenty of practices tell me sign contracts. Like, why would you sign this insurance contract? Oh, I didn't, why didn't you negotiate? Oh, I didn't know I could like, wow. So there's, there's really just, they don't know what they don't. It's just a lot, literally lack of information to provide. So I think that's if I think every medical school program would benefit by adding in uh, at least accounting 101, you know, finance 101, okay. marketing 101, just the, yeah. just some building blocks so they could really think a little bit you know, more strongly about their practice as a business. We could probably spend an entire episode on here, so this isn't a fair question, but do you feel like the average doctor, dentist, uh, healthcare practitioner is coming out of school with the right training they need to, to run the business that they're starting? No, um, I don't. And I, but I think that's why the, there's been this, also the allure of joining into these groups, uh, you know, A, from a debt perspective to manage their debt load, you know, pay down their student loans. Um, but I think then they get a, can get a little bit more perspective if they join the right group. Mm. So I think there's been a prevalence of that. It's a, it's a safe entry into the space versus starting off, putting up their own shingle and starting their own practice. Um, I, I do think just by nature of what I've experienced in my career, I do feel like, like dentists just seem to be more business oriented than a lot of other medical practices because they're not as insurance based, even though dental insurance. So I think they walk into an environment that is a little more marketing business savvy required, or they have to learn it faster, um, versus joining a big orthopedic group. And now you're part of a cog, um, but all in all, I think there's a lot of just on the job learning or getting in, in, in acquainted with the business side of things. So they don't, they don't seem to get armed with that unless they got it in some of their, um, undergraduate studies at all, but usually pretty light. Yeah. Yeah. So on the back of that, uh, you know, folks walk into this not knowing what they're missing. One of the things you said, they just don't know what they don't know. And so question I've got for you, and I ask this of every guest we've had on, but What's the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening or watching today knew? Um, one thing that I wish everybody knew is that, you know, it, it yeah, you, you need to have a plan. I mean, I, I think that, you know, talk about business need to plan. Like I'm talking about, I'm in this sector of this health, that everyone needs to have a business plan. Even if my plan is I'm just going to see patients. Do I want to see more patients? Do I not? Am I happy with what I'm earning? Do I want to do anything differently and think towards it and work towards a goal, knowing that I've worked on business plans for 30 years now and know that most of them end up being wrong, right? But it's at least you're directionally guiding yourself. Like what? Where, where do you see yourself or where do you want to be? And it seems obvious, but I think I think people who are going to start their first business, like, hey, I've got, I've got a concept. They write their first business plan and then when they're done, 
And I think business plans should be rewritten or reviewed at least you know, annually, at least on a cursory level. And so many businesses never like a healthcare practice don't think about it like that. And it really is a business that needs a plan. And the plan could be really simple, but it mean at least you have to know you know what 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 you're gearing towards. So to me, that would be if everyone kind of thought about that, I think it would change, you know, the way they do they view what they're doing day to day. It's so true. It is so true. And I, and you know, I, I see that happening across and it's just particularly with those who got into the business to do what the business does, right? They they can become so preoccupied by for doctors helping patients, right? That yeah. that they lose sight of the rest of that. And then you see uh then you see you know, especially other folks in the organization start to struggle. One of the you know complaints from the outside of the industry that I have with is they often have under, you know, trained, undernourished staff, right? Right, that are not doctors, and it just it's a frustrating process for everyone. And so even just from the the client side of the equation, saying, hey, we want a group of people who are all going in the same direction because we, we'll, you know, I want to know that what's important to each of them is the same, and I get a better experience for that. So. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And that idea of rewriting your business plan is uh, unfortunately revolutionary, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's such such a, a true point. And and also, I mean, there's so much to unpack in there. It's it's good. Just go back and listen to it again. I don't need to reset. Uh, just listen to Michael's. There's so much uh, depth in, in those few short words. Uh, I, I want to make sure we can connect folks with you more because uh, more, I know there's some folks who are just like, this is exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Uh, but before we get there, I'm going to have you take off your consultant hat for a moment, put your CEO hat on, kind of jump down into the ring with the rest of us. And uh, what's the next stage of growth look like for you and your business? And what challenge will you have to overcome to get there? Yeah, what it, because of the nature of how I like to work, where I really am that like so that add on bolt to, uh, you know, a team where I sort of get integrated in, it, you know, in that capacity, I limit myself because I can only go I can only work with so many clients at a given time. Um, so my, to my own detriment, you know, I, you know, building it, building the team the way I would like it. You know, I, I work with, I bring people, yeah, I'm more sort of an independent guy who brings people in on spot things where I need that extra expertise, but I work on projects by nature, which I really enjoy. So that means it's what I want to do. Um, so what's that next stage for me is that the evolution of, do I want to broaden the client base that I work with, which would be bringing on some different components in a much more true, consistent capacity. Do, do I want to do that or do I just love, I kind of just love what I'm doing, but then I tinker with it on the side and like, oh, I wish I had time for X, Y, and Z. I could provide the guidance, but I need somebody to do the, the heavy lifting. Um, so it's my own, you know, to my own detriment, I, I've sort of structured myself in a way that I, my, and I'm doing, you know, I'm happy with what I'm doing. So if I want to grow, but that's, that's my challenge. And so they're struggling with my own, you know, all right. So as a CEO, like, how do I want to grow or do I like what I'm doing? My exit strategy, that's, you know, again, a different path. I think some of these companies I have a deeper tie into. So do I, you know, do I ride that in a whole different way? Um, yeah. So it's always just, a, yeah. But I do think that what I'm doing today and what I'm doing in three years, one way or another will be different. Uh, just I sort of evolve as my, I see challenge, challenges yeah. and opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, so, Michael, there's, uh, there's folks out there listening, especially from the healthcare industry, just saying like, this guy gets it, right? Like he, he just understands my world uh, and I need more of this. How can they find more out about you and the work that you do? 
Yeah, my website's inflection360.com. Uh, not infection, but inflection. It's all about the inflection point of a business. Is kind of how I focused on my uh, building uh, my client base. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to reach me. I'm definitely the only Michael Raub, R-O-U-B, out there. So easy to track me down then. I'm very responsive there, but you can ping me off on my website too. And I just love to talk to, you know, to executives or business owners and really understand what they're doing. Even if I'm not the right guy for the long term, I love to just sort of share some insight and, and, and help people along on their own paths. So it's I love to connect with you know, people across the landscape and, and talk about what they're doing. That's fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. It's just an absolute honor and privilege to have you here. And for those who are listening and watching today, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.